at uh, in the midst of our hectic, busy, crazy world that seems to overemphasize performance and doing, uh, how do we begin to learn again to accept the gift of limits in our lives? In many ways, uh, Schizero suggests in his book that we've forgotten what it means to actually be human beings. Even in the church, he says, it's important for us to recognize that the ways in which we have, in fact, overemphasized the doing of activities for God to the neglect of time spent being with God continues to impact our emotional and our spiritual health and maturity. So we're going to dive into that a little deeper today, but before we do, I just want to pray for us and ask God to bless this time of looking into His Word. God, we do thank You that You are, are all that we need, and that without You, we know that we can do nothing. We ask that You would speak to us, not only through Your Word, but through Your Spirit this morning, a Word that each of us need to hear, encouraging us to put our trust in you in deeper ways, to, to build our confidence to go from this place today as Jesus' true disciples and continue to learn what it means to grow not only spiritually but emotionally in healthy and sustainable ways so that we can truly be a blessing to the world around us. And we will thank you and we will praise you through Jesus Christ our Lord in whose name we pray. Amen. This uh, emphasis on doing over being can lead us to reject the idea that we should accept any kinds of limits in our lives. While, in fact, our tendency as human beings, we learned last week, is to resist limits, isn't it? It's part of our actual brokenness as human beings. Connecting us all the way back to the beginning with Adam and Eve in the garden and their uh, rejection of God's limit on their life by saying, of all the trees in the garden that you can eat from, there's only one that you shouldn't eat from, right? The, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And of course, the devil comes in and says, oh, that's the one you want. You shouldn't accept limits from God because he's lying to you. In fact, if you eat of that tree, you will become just like God. So Schizero suggests in his book that in contrast for us today as followers of Jesus in the 21st century, we have to remember again that we can learn to grow both spiritually and emotionally into more mature human beings when we come to accept the fact that we are simply finite creatures who are created by God. And that as we surrender to the fact that we are not the gods of our own lives and we're never intended to be, that God alone is in charge of this world and God alone is in charge of your life and my life and wants to bless you in ways that no one else can. And so how we choose to understand and respond to the limits that we experience in our own lives goes directly to the core of our relationship with God as our Heavenly Father and with Jesus as our Lord and Savior and the, the one we claim is the master of our lives. The good news is that Jesus came for that very reason. He came to rescue us and he came to lead us to a renewed experience of, of what humanity was supposed to be in God's original intention that was created in the image of God but was never intended to be God. 
And so Scazzaro says in his book that it seems that in our current state of discipleship in the church, despite our words to the contrary and what we hope to aspire to be and to do, we too often contribute to human beings becoming less whole, less human, and less like Jesus. While a truly successful discipleship to Jesus will lead us to become more whole, more human, and more like Jesus. One of the key indicators that we learned last week that we're on the road to spiritual and emotional maturity in Christ is when we live joyfully within our God-given limits. And that is easy to say, (laughs) hard to do. However, we also learned that when we fail to recognize and accept God's gift of limits, what we end up doing is paying a higher cost, both spiritually and emotionally, than God ever intended us to pay. Without seeing and accepting the limits in our lives and in our ministries here at church, we run the risk of believing not only that we can do it all, but that we should be able to do it all. And if we can't do it all, then there's something wrong with you. Or there's something wrong with me. Because the devil's lie is that you can be the God of your life. And that means you should be able to do it all and have it all and be it all. And if you can't, you, you, you look at the world around you and see some people are doing it. You, you look at Elon Musk and man, he must be touched by God. <laughs> we see this leads us to another emotionally healthy lesson that we pick up in our message today, and that is that an emotionally healthy discipleship helps people learn to patiently seek God's presence and guidance in and through the very limits that we experience. Let me say that one more time. An emotionally healthy discipleship helps people learn to patiently seek God's presence and guidance in and through the limits we experience. You see, within this lesson is the understanding that we gain from reading the Bible and understanding the stories of God's people, that God uses limits in our lives to bless us in two ways. The first way that we started talking about last week is he uses these limits to reveal himself to us, to remind us that we are not God, but he is God, and he's present, and he is able to help us in ways that no one else can. The second way that he uses limits is to demonstrate his power through us. In the first way, it's in accepting the limits and submitting to God's gift of limits in our lives that God frees us from these unrealistic expectations that we have for ourselves and for one another. And in the second way, we learn that there are some limits that we have that God wants us to figure out how to break through as a way of allowing Him to demonstrate His power at work in our lives. You may remember the story of Abraham and Sarah right? Sarah and Abraham wanted to have kids, and they couldn't. And they had to wrestle with this limit in their lives and this limit in their marriage. And what does it mean for us that that we are struggling with infertility? And if you are someone who's ever struggled with infertility, you know the depth of the darkness and the pain and the struggle that 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 entails, not only for for us as individuals, but, but on a marriage and on a family. And it was especially challenging for Abraham and Sarah because God had called them. 
He called them to leave their, their homeland and their family and to follow him as their God, and that he promised them that they would have kids and that those kids would have kids and that it would go on and on to the, that he would make of him a great nation and that all of the world would be blessed through him. Well, that's a pretty heady promise, isn't it? Genesis 12.1 said, The Lord had said to Abram, which was his name before God changed it to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. But what we know from the story is that in order for God's promise to be fulfilled, Abraham and Sarah had to first accept God's gift of limits on their life. Romans 4.19 says, Without weakening in his faith, he, meaning Abraham, faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. You ever feel like your body's as good as dead? since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Abraham and Sarah had to face the limit of old age and infertility and the idea that they had passed their prime and that God could no longer do anything new through them or in their lives. Does anybody feel that here today? They might not be able to have kids. And so God might not be able to fulfill his promises. God had promised he would bless them, but maybe, maybe that's not going to happen. And the Bible tells us that like so many of us, Abraham and Sarah did not graciously accept this gift of limits in their lives, did they? What did they do? They tried to take matters into their own hands and they tried to manufacture their own blessing by, by sending Abraham to his handservant Hagar who bore him a son named Ishmael. And God said, no, 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 you're missing the whole point. It's not supposed to come through your power. It's supposed to come through my power. Yet in spite of their attempts to take control from God, God used the gift of limits in their life to help them to be able to grow in wisdom and to mature spiritually and emotionally so that in the end, God honored their faith in him. And ultimately, through the, the miraculous birth of their son Isaac, God made Abraham to become the father of our faith. And Sarah became the mother of nations. See, what we learn from the stories of God's people in the Bible is that sometimes God uses the gift of limits in our lives to help us recognize and break through the limits of our own emotional immaturity and the weakness of our faith in Him. And so as we walk with Jesus as his disciples and we learn that God often reveals himself to us and into the world through the very limits that we experience as finite creatures in this world, he also says that he will demonstrate himself in unique and powerful ways when we put our trust in him to do what we know that we can't do in our own strength. Now we don't have time this morning to read all of the stories in the Bible where God reveals himself through the gift of limits. It's probably almost every story in the Bible, I would imagine. But we might quickly recall his examples of how he did so through the limit of five loaves and two fish. 
that he used to feed 5,000 or more people? Or how about the limit of 300, a 300-person 300 army that God led Gideon to lead against 135,000 Midianites and he was able to conquer them? Or how about through the limit of prison and slavery for Joseph, through whom God rescued the entire nation of Israel and saved them from famine? Or through the limit of Moses in his advanced age and decrepitude and his slowness of speech, God set his people free from the land of Egypt and led them to the promised land. If any of these heroes of the faith had rebelled against God's gift of limits in their lives, they would have missed what God was wanting to do in and through them for God's glory and his kingdom in the world. Schizera says that one of the most important things that we need to learn from Scripture is that limits are one of the primary ways that we grow in wisdom and maturity as human beings. But we don't like that. We want it to be easy. We want it to come naturally. We want to just go with the flow. We don't want it to be hard. We don't want it to be difficult. We don't want to have to, have to you know, like work on our faith and trusting in God. It should just be easy. And the reality is that no matter how old you are, every season of life brings with it its own unique challenging limits that we have to learn to accept and live with. And yet each season, these limits can also become opportunities and places for us to begin to learn how to discover and engage with God's presence and His work in our lives. Seeking His wisdom for how we can be good stewards of the limited time and the limited energy and the limited resources that all of us have to one degree or another. We simply have to learn to accept the fact that sometimes God uses the hard things in life to bless us and to grow us in ways that could never happen otherwise. But we need to be paying attention in order to understand how God is working and how God may want to use a limit in your life or my life. And we have to trust that even though it doesn't feel good, we continue to have faith that God is good. Amen? And that he always has our best interests at heart, even when it doesn't feel like it. This is perhaps the understanding behind Psalm 90, verse 12, that says, Teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. Teach us to pay attention to where you are, God, in each and every day. To count the value and the worth that this day has for you and for your purposes. To pay attention to, God, what you are doing in these days of our lives and to see and to understand your will and your work so that we might become wise in our hearts and understand how you are wanting to grow and develop us into emotionally and spiritually healthy and mature human beings that represent the gift of God's new life through Jesus Christ. Would I go too far? to say that too often, rather than numbering our days, we have spent our time wishing that we could be living a different life. We look around and we see the good things that others have and are experiencing, and we, we wish we could be living their life. 
or, or we wish our lives could go back to the way they were when we were younger or when we were happier or when we were stronger or when we had more control or when we were more in power. And this dynamic isn't true just for us individually. I want us to really wrestle with it's true for us as a church and it's true for us as Christians in our day and in our culture where we're all experiencing a loss of influence in our society and a loss of impact for God's kingdom and a loss of power in the world around us. Christianity and church in America is no longer assumed by the culture at large to be the center and the hub of a just and a caring society. In fact, more and more, the church is being perceived as a threat to a truly just and caring society, isn't it? And as we as the church become increasingly marginalized within our growing secular culture around us, we struggle to know, what does this mean for us? How do we understand where God is working and what God is doing and how he wants us to lead in the future and how he wants us to love other people and reach a society that seems to have completely rejected Christianity and the church as being something that is completely irrelevant to their lives? If we've been paying attention, we know that the reality that the church in America has been in decline for over 40 years, right? At least since the 1970s, and COVID-19 and the recent pandemic has simply accelerated the trends that we've already seen happening in our culture. We have a, a graph, I don't know if we have it, we can show you from the Pew uh, Foundation did a recent research uh, that's determined that the number of self-identified Christians in our country was about 75% in the year 2007. And this is the first year that they began asking the religious affiliation question on their surveys, which is why they start there. And by the end of year 2021, that number dropped to 63%. Now think about that. It's a 12% drop in less than 15 years. That's huge. That's a tsunami change in the culture around us, men and women. And it's not new. It's been coming for a long, long time. At the same time, the number of people who claim no religious affiliation, the nuns on most surveys and on the census now has risen from 16% to 29%. Almost one-third of the people in our culture claim no religious affiliation, and that is the fastest-growing demographic in our country. But perhaps more shocking and scary and, uh, and significant than Muriel lost in attendance for us at church is that social scientists have observed that for these increasingly non-religious Americans, these nuns, the primary characteristic that they express about Christianity and the church and religion is indifference. Only about 1% to 2%, they say, of people report being actively against religion. The rest just simply don't care. They don't care about us. They don't care about what we're doing here right now. They don't care about the fact that we think we have the truth and that we know Jesus and that, and that there's, he's the only way to heaven. They don't care. It doesn't matter because, at least as far as they're concerned, as far as they know, it has no practical impact on their life. 
And I want to suggest that it's not just because they don't yet know Jesus, but because for many Christians in our, in our country, as they look at what's happening in the church, they don't see any relevant impact in our lives either. So for us as followers of Jesus and as a faith community, how might the limits that we are seeing and experiencing in our society around us be opportunities that the Lord is inviting us to learn to break through and see his power at work in ways that we might not have expected or never had imagined? How about you personally today? What are the limits that you're wrestling with and that you're facing? What are the limits of the current season of life that you're in? Maybe you're feeling too old. Maybe you're feeling too young. (laughs) Is it a limit of time or energy? Is it a limit of health? Is it a limit of finances and resources to do what you want to do? Is it a limit of of confusion and not knowing a sense of direction and purpose and and wanting God to to kind of show up and and tell you where, where to go and what to do with your life? We can recall that Jesus said the greatest commandment in the Bible is what? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself, right? We know these things. But maybe we can ask today, what are the limits of my physical and mental and emotional energies when it comes to my desire to love and serve God in the ways that he's commanded? Do you feel any limits in that regard? I know I do. And shoot, I'm a pastor. I get paid to be a Christian. <laughs> what are the limits today of your ability to actually love your flesh and blood neighbors? Not the people sitting next to you in the pew, the people living next to your house. What are the limits of your ability to, to love yourself? so that you can become a a genuinely healthy and whole human being that actually knows how to love your neighbor and invite them into an experience of what it means to become a healthy, whole human being themselves. Men and women, as followers of Jesus Christ, I believe we have a lot of work to do to become healthy again as a Christian community. The problem, Scazzaro says, is that in all of our wishing that life might be different and that we can have it all or that we can do it all or that we could have control in our lives or that we can go back to the way that it used to be, whether it be in our personal lives or our hopes and dreams, that church will go back to the way it was before the pandemic. The problem, he says, in all of this process is that we're actually missing the life that we have today. We're living in a fantasy of a future that may never happen or a past that we can never change. And we're missing the moment now, which the Bible says is the moment where God exists. Where God is present, where God is at work in your life and in my life and in this room. But because we're so distracted by all the things that we think we need and that we want and we're pushing against the limits of our lives, we're missing the very life that God has given you right now. And we're missing what God may be wanting to do in our lives and in our church. 
which could be more than perhaps we ever realize, and, 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 and we know from what the Bible promises would be more than we could ever imagine or do in our own strength and in our own wisdom. And yet, like Abraham and Sarah and all of God's people in the Bible, it's accepting the gift of God's limits as the first step that drives us back to God as the only one who can really do the work through us that needs to be done so that we more fully rely on His wisdom and His strength in our lives. In this process, we invite people to learn what it means to participate in a more emotionally healthy discipleship that truly allows Jesus to be the master of our lives. I've said this before, last year, we we realized, right, that it's possible today that you can be a really good church person and not be following Jesus. Are you following Jesus today? Or are you just wearing the the club pin? This is the pattern we see at work in the Bible. When God's servants accept and submit to the gift of limits in their lives, God shows up in miraculous ways and allows them to break through some of the, the limits of their faith and the limits of their immaturity and the limits of their own spiritual and emotional health that have been holding them back and locking them in and preventing them from experiencing the fullness of Christ in their lives. Now, we know that it isn't always easy, right? In fact, this is one of the hardest things it is to do is to accept limits because because there's a dying to ourselves that's involved in, in recognizing that we have to accept limits in our lives. It can mean the loss of things that we may have dreamed of and hoped for for our lives or things that we have dreamed of and hoped for our church that we have to let go and that we have to grieve because they may never come again. And that's a a whole nother level of leaning into the limits in our lives and so that's where we're going to pick it up next week. But for now, we learn that God uses the gift of limits in our lives and in our discipleship to Jesus to teach us how to trust in Him and and to transform us into spiritually and emotionally healthy followers of Jesus so that it opens the doors of understanding to how we can gain the ability to discover that, that there are not only gifts and limits, but there are treasures buried in the midst of the grief and the loss that we all struggle through and we all experience at one point or another in our lives. I believe this was the kind of discipleship that Jesus was inviting his first disciples to experience. Not only did he remind them of their limits, right, through the image of the vine and the branches and their need to stay connected with him, because apart from him, he said, you can do nothing. But he also told them that if they would come to him in sincerity and in humbleness of heart, recognizing their need for him, they would find genuine rest for their soul. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 and 29, Jesus said, come to me, all you that are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. How many need rest today? How many are craving a break? How many, how many wish you could get, get off the treadmill and stop the rat race and, and, and go on a permanent vacation? 
How many retired folks in the room are busier now than they ever were when they were working full-time? I hear it over and over again. There is a rest, men and women, that is available for the people of God that only comes when we come to Jesus. We accept His gift of limits, knowing that we're finite creatures created by Him, but to live in relationship with Him. And that's when He can begin to do His work in us and to demonstrate His power through us. I want to invite you to close your eyes and receive the words of Matthew 11, 28 and 29 again, this time through Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, which is, I think this is one of the best parts of his paraphrase that I, I've ever heard, but I love this. So close your eyes, listen to the word of God, and hear afresh and anew this invitation from Jesus to you as your personal Lord and Savior today. Are you tired? worn out, burned out on religion, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So let it be for us. Amen.